The following sermon is from Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church in New York City at the corner of Fifth Avenue and 55th Street in the heart of Manhattan. We welcome you to worship with our vibrant community of faith. Head to fapc.org and join our email list and be sure to subscribe to FAPC in New York City, our YouTube channel. And now we invite you to breathe deep and lean into the beauty of worship with Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church. Listen now for God's word to you as it echoes to us from the book of Exodus, chapter 8, beginning with the first verse. Then the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go so that they may worship me. If you refuse to let them go, I will plague your whole country with frogs. The river shall swarm with frogs. They shall come up into your palace, into your bedchamber and your bed, and into the houses of your officials and of your people, and into your ovens and your kneading bowls. The frogs shall come up on you and on your people and on all your officials. And the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, stretch out your hand with your staff over the rivers, the canals, and the pools, and make frogs come up on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. But the magicians did the same by their secret arts and brought frogs up on the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, Pray to the Lord to take away the frogs from me and my people, and I will let the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. Moses said to Pharaoh, Kindly tell me when I'm to pray for you and for your officials and for your people that the frogs may be removed from you and your houses and be left only in the Nile. And Pharaoh said, Tomorrow. Moses said, As you say, so that you may know that there's no one like the Lord our God. The frogs shall leave you and your houses and your officials and your people, and they shall be left only in the Nile. Then Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh, and Moses cried out to the Lord concerning the frogs that he had brought upon Pharaoh. And the Lord did as Moses requested, the frogs died in the houses, the courtyards, and the fields, and they gathered them together in heaps, and the land stank. But when Pharaoh saw that there was a respite, he hardened his heart and would not listen to them, just as the Lord had said. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So, is this how God makes a point? Frogs? Is this how the Almighty chooses to communicate with humanity? An amphibious assault? A legion of kermits invading people's homes? Frogs in your cereal bowl? Frogs in your backpack? Frogs jumping around under your bed, croaking all night long? Frogs who suddenly, mysteriously die en masse? A frogageddon? A frogpocalypse? Decaying frogs now in your cereal bowl, your backpack, under your bed? 
people collecting wheelbarrows full of moldering frog carcasses as the land fills with an unbearable stench. Is this how the creator of the universe gets people's attention? Hold on to that question. It's a good one. We'll work our way back toward it. Let's start basic, honest. What's your favorite part of the book of Exodus? What stories do you remember from this corner of scripture? The answer for most people is the plagues. The cataclysms visited on Egypt fascinate us. The Nile River turns to blood. Locusts descend on farmers' crops. Darkness covers the land. This section of Exodus is one disaster film after another. And, and all this calamity has us transfixed. We're, we are drawn to the stories of the plagues. And, and this is not surprising. This is how we roll. This is, there's a movie out there about a giant asteroid hurling toward Earth. Gotta go see it. There's, there's a new television program about zombies taking over North America. We're in. Disasters and dystopias intrigue us. Why? Why are humans so eager to picture the worst that might befall us, to imagine society's fabric ripped to shreds by some terrible cataclysm? Asteroids, zombies, and tidal waves, oh my. Stories about calamity beckon to us. Some suggest that we watch catastrophes play out on the silver screen because they give us sort of a strange sense of comfort. Life is hard right now, but it could be worse, way worse. Does that explain why Exodus records these stories? Is scripture wagging its finger? Give thanks for your lot in life. After all, you could be dealing with frogs in your soup. That doesn't seem like the modus operandi for Exodus. The good book wants to pull more from us than, golly, I'm glad there aren't decaying frogs under my bed. The same, I think, goes for contemporary disaster movies. Exodus and modern adventure films both understand the same basic truth about humanity. It goes like this. Disasters expose people. Disasters reveal things about who we really are. And as such, disaster stories are sort of a moral stress test, a rehearsal for life's real plagues. Disaster stories get us wondering, who would I be in the midst of such travail? Would I cower under the table? Or would I deny the seriousness of the crisis? W would I run away, run for the hills? Or would I, would I be out in the street sweeping up dead frogs? When life's plagues descend, what sort of person will I be? As we contemplate our answers, Rebecca Solnit, an author who has studied people's historical responses to disaster, offers encouraging news. Solnit writes, just as many machines reset themselves to their original settings after a power outage, human beings often reset themselves to something altruistic, communitarian, resourceful, and imaginative in the face of a disaster. 
the most awful circumstances, my friends, can call out the best in humanity. We know this to be true. We see it all around us in the face of this pandemic, in the bravery of first responders, in the sacred calm of those who keep doing essential jobs, in the resilience of those who declare that they will not be defeated. Disasters are a crucible. They can burn away foolish conceit and couch potato apathy to reveal a side to humanity that is remarkably courageous, caring, and cooperative. This is true most, but not all of the time. When the plague of frogs descends on Egypt, Exodus makes it clear that these amphibian pests are unimpressed by wealth or social status. To be sure, disasters often deal their fiercest blow to the poorest of neighborhoods. But the stink of these frogs is something that no one in Egypt can escape. They take up residence in baker's ovens and in Pharaoh's bedchamber. All Egypt wants relief from the frogs. So Pharaoh calls on Moses, a, a thorn in Egypt's side, a persistent critic of his oppressive treatment of the Hebrews. Let's work together, says Pharaoh. You ask God to take away these infernal riveters, and I'll grant the Israelites freedom to go and worship the Lord of the frogs. Moses fulfills his end of the bargain, and Pharaoh, Pharaoh, God help him, Pharaoh reneges on his promise. Exodus toys with us a little here. For a brief moment, it looks like the king's cast iron heart might actually soften. After all, he does reach out to Moses. He does say, let's work together to address our problems. You take care of the hopping menace. I'll sign the papers freeing your people. Pharaoh takes half a step, or maybe a quarter of a step, toward health, toward justice, toward the possibility of noble leadership. But then, as the mass frog cleanup gets underway, Pharaoh retreats. He reverts to form. He goes right back to bullying the Hebrews. Exodus describes it this way. When Pharaoh saw that there was a respite, he hardened his heart and would not listen. Down through the centuries, many Jewish and Christian scholars have wrestled with passages like this. They've asked, what's wrong with Pharaoh's heart? Why is he so callous? Some argue that God is responsible for hardening Pharaoh's heart. And there are verses in Exodus that support this perspective. The whole point of the story, say these scholars, is to assert that God is in control of human history and not some tin pot dictator like Pharaoh. Others disagree. Pharaoh, they say, is no puppet. He has free will. He has agency. He's ultimately responsible for his own heart. When, when Pharaoh makes all sorts of unwise and cruel decisions in Exodus, he has no one to blame but himself. Who is ultimately responsible for all the turmoil in Egypt? Is it Pharaoh himself? Is it some unidentified trauma in Pharaoh's past? Is it God Almighty? In the end, the good book doesn't have a clear answer to this question. Its focus is somewhere else. In Exodus, 
Scripture has its eye on a much bigger fish. Earlier, we observed that the plagues in Exodus are attention grabbers for Pharaoh and for us too. Like all calamities, these events call for decisive action and cooperation. And at the same time, they point to a disturbing pattern. It's a pattern that plays out over and over in Exodus. You can see it in today's text. When all of Egyptian society is under amphibian siege, Pharaoh makes common cause with Moses. We need to join forces. Let's work together to address our problems. Later, however, when the frogs are but a foul-smelling memory, Pharaoh changes his tune. The complaints of the Hebrew people are not my problem. I've been watching a new television program on BritBox entitled, Don't Forget the Driver. In the show, Toby Jones portrays Peter, a somewhat depressed British bus driver who discovers a stowaway in his coach after he returns from a trip to France. The woman has been smuggled into Egypt by a human trafficking ring. A man with few resources of his own and had no desire for trouble, Peter decides, he initially decides, that the stowaway is not his problem. This past summer, I received a letter from someone thanking me for a place at the table, the program this church has established to provide meals to hungry New Yorkers in the midst of the pandemic. At the same time, the letter expressed confusion over the congregation's commitment to an ongoing conversation about race. The author went on to say that he was not personally a racist, of course, and that, and that to his knowledge, none of his ancestors had participated in the Atlantic slave trade. So in sum, the writer explained, the issues over which we're arguing are not really my problem. And there you have the horns of our dilemma. In the face of a natural disaster, human beings have a remarkable capacity for extending solidarity and compassion. When calamity strikes, when pain is all around, empathy grows within us. We almost always rise to the occasion. On the other hand, we struggle to locate similar compassion when pain is localized and when it's not part of our experience, when it's unfamiliar, when it's not something we all share. You see this in Exodus. When the frogs are thick on the ground, Pharaoh is eager to talk about unity and compromise, but as soon as the frogs are swept away, his calculations change. The frogs were everyone's problem, but, but the complaints of the Hebrew people, these requests for equality and freedom, they're not my problem. Here, Exodus tightens its lens. It won't let us look away. Plague after plague assails Egypt. The pain and devastation there touches everyone, even Pharaoh. 
This man reels in the face of the disasters. He's, he's so com discombobulated that, that for a brief moment, he actually seems to embrace a foreign religion. He asks Moses to pray to his God for help. Pharaoh is wobbly. Sadly, though, sadly and tragically, in the midst of Egypt's suffering and his own struggles, Pharaoh cannot seem to escape the prison of his own narcissism. He cannot learn the lesson that God is teaching, that God is modeling. What lesson is that? Well, Exodus keeps it front and center for us. Moses repeats it over and over. God says, I've heard my people's cry. I've heard my people's cry. Can Pharaoh not hear the empathy in these words? Does he, does he not get the hint? Evidently, no. Egypt's narcissistic princeling simply cannot compute the suffering of others. His capacity for compassion is stunted. He cannot process the fact that the Hebrew people are pleading, pleading with God for rescue, for deliverance from him. The good book is painfully clear. In Exodus, the most significant plague, the plague of plagues that makes all of Egypt's troubles exponentially worse, is a hard, hard heart. Someone recently said to me that it feels like too much to have to deal with coronavirus and a national reckoning over race at the same time. I caught, I caught her point. We're all weary. But honestly, if you read Exodus, the emergence of this double helix, a, a viral plague and an intense conversation about racial justice makes perfect sense. One segment of society is saying, we've got to pull together and face this existential challenge, while another group of folk are saying, pull together, have you been listening for years, for decades, for generations? We've been dialing 911 to report an existential challenge. Exodus draws us into this hard conversation. It compels us to ask, am I failing to understand, to appreciate, and even to just plain see all the things that plague my neighbors? The good book provides a sobering answer, yes. Now it is incredibly challenging to have empathy for something we've not experienced. It's challenging, but not impossible. And this is where Exodus rolls up its sleeves. You see, my friend, deep down, Exodus isn't concerned with Pharaoh's heart, not, not really. Exodus, or should I say, the God of Exodus, is taking aim at our hearts. We're the ones God is coming after with a chisel and a grin. Why? Because God knows that buried under our self-protective shells and our flagrant narcissism, there are holy impulses. The good Lord put them there. Deep down, we've been hardwired to be of help when disasters strike. 
We're all ready to pull out our shovels and, and fill our wheelbarrows with dead frogs. What we need now, though, says the good book, is simply a broader sense of what counts as a disaster. Now, how might a change of heart like that happen? Well, says God, it all starts with a question. Have you heard my people's cry? Do you need me to tell you their story? Go out into the world in peace with compassion in your hearts and a bold vision for what God is calling you to do. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. Amen.